Well, growing up, I was flanked by uh, people my own age. On the west side of my house, my next-door neighbor, Rebecca, uh, was the same age I was. And then on the east side of my house, Tyler was the same age I was. So it was great growing up in the neighborhood that I was. We did all things together, from roller skating to, you know, kick the can to playing in the sandbox to sharing each other's toys. There was a bond. And it makes sense that the story I'm about to tell is kind of seared into my mind. I think I was probably about six or seven years old. And there was this game, I don't remember what game it was, that I had really loved and really cared about. And I wanted Tyler and Rebecca to experience it, to know what it was all about. And then I went to tell them about it, and they said, yeah, we'll play. And then I said, okay, we're here. And then I went to go get the game, and then I came back, and they were gone. They had totally ditched me. It's amazing things that we remember when we were young, but the feelings of that experience were very strong. Feelings of betrayal, rejection, moved to sadness and anger. Have you ever experienced rejection like that? Someone that you've invested in, someone that you have loved, they've left you or gone to something else? Many times you like to push these experiences down. No matter what, these experiences can move us emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Of course, there was the confrontation with parents about the incident that happened. And, you know, Tyler and Rebecca, they didn't really respond the best to what I was experiencing in that moment. Maybe if they knew how I felt, maybe they knew betrayal, they would have responded better. What moves us? What moves us from being stuck, from apathy, from stubbornness, from malaise, from wandering, from sin? Hope is that Hosea, listening to this book, will transform us. That we would hear, as the author says at the end of the book, we would not stumble when we hear these words. Today, what we're going to read, we're going to see the Lord does not give us simply an image, an image to the prophet, but he gives the prophet an experience that both the prophet and Israel might know the depths of the Lord's pursuit of his people. Today, the Lord does not just give Hosea an image. He gives Hosea an experience that he might know the depths of the Lord's pursuit of his people. Well, let's look together, shall we? Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. Welcome. You've come at the right time. In the fall, we start a new book. The book of Hosea is what we're going to start, and it is a doozy. If you don't know this, at Emmaus Road, we, in the fall, go through Old Testament books, rotating between Old Testament narrative and the prophets. We've done six prophetic books in the life of our church, and uh, we have done some of the minor prophets, and this is one of the minor prophets today, Hosea. There's 12 minor prophets in all, and when it says minor, it doesn't mean they're less significant. The reason that it says minor is because their size is smaller. Hosea is actually the largest of the minor prophets, and we're going to spend 12 weeks in it. I want us to get the most out of this book. And so I want to make sure today I set you up for understanding the book so you can get the most out of it. I want you to not just take my word for it, or David's, or whoever is preaching through this book. I want you to ask questions. I want you to find answers. I want you to be a part of a group, like a community group, that finds out more about this book and how it plays out in your life. So I'm going to encourage every single one of us to read the book of Hosea this week. Probably will take you about an hour in total. But spend some time, maybe two chapters a day, of reading the book of Hosea. Having those questions that come up when you read it. Letting the word transform you. Again, don't just take our word for it. Let the Holy Spirit work upon you as you read this book. Well, when you think of a book like prophecy, and you hear the word prophecy, many of us think it must be just referring to something that happens in the future. Yes, part of Hosea talks about what happens in the future, but the majority of the book Hosea is shedding light on what's happening in the present in Israel, what is currently going on. And here is also, we must think that, okay, if it's just talking about what's going on there, how does it apply to us? The truth is that Jose, again, is talking about the human condition. And just as Israel are wanderers from God, so are we. Just as Israel is saved ultimately by grace, so are we. And so it speaks to us today in God's ultimate story of saving humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. Also, we see what a prophet does is that God speaks 
through a prophet. It's the word of the Lord that came to Isaiah. So over a 40-year period is the collection of these oracles, these words of the Lord that have come to Hosea. The divisions are not always easy to figure out how they're divided. There are very strong images in poetry, but they're used to get our attention. Again, it's the word of the Lord to shake us up. Also, the role of a prophet is to remind the people of the promises that they've made with God. This covenant. And here, the prophet is reminding Israel where they stand with God and how they've done with the promises. We just went through what the covenant was this summer. The Ten Commandments. The Sinai Covenant. Saying, if you keep these laws, it will go well with you. And it's fitting that we go through the book Hosea because it goes through the laws of the Ten Commandments. We're going to see this constantly through this book. And so Hosea is trying to talk to them and say, how are you doing at this? The last we saw how the law was given was when they were about to enter into the land. Well, this is 500 years later. They've entered the land. And we were wondering, how were they doing 500 years later? And we see that two-thirds of this book is evidence that God gives that they are breaking this covenant. One-fourth of the book is the judgments that they receive for breaking the covenant. And then 10% of the book is how God blesses them through it all. Got to realize, too, as we go from learning about the law this summer... We're moving to a different genre, prophetic literature. And the approach is different. The law, very deductive. This is what it is. This is what you are supposed to follow. But now you see, these people in Israel, they know the law, but they are doubting its effectiveness. Even though they probably could recite the Decalogue, they're wondering how it plays out into their lives. There is little connection between the theology they know, the history that they've lived in, the worship practices they follow, and the real-life problems that they see on the ground. They are living a duplicitous life. The prophets try to wake people up. People like us. Maybe you have the motions down. You grew up religious. You know the right words to say. You know how to greet the pastor after you leave. Pastor, how are you doing? Right? But what is our love? What do we follow? You might know the Ten Commandments, especially after this summer. But but when the pressure is on, What do you follow? Hosea, through showing the evidence of how they're living, then judgment, and then God's pursuit. His goal is that he might draw these people that are wandering from God back to their love, to their father, as he's described in Hosea, to their husband, as God is described in Hosea. To a tree that bears fruit, as God is described in Hosea. 
or a lion. So many images to arrest our minds and our hearts that we might return to our true love. Some of you might be wondering, how is he going to get anything out of these first two verses, right? Verse 1 is just this throwaway verse, right? Oh, just a bunch of names, a couple nations, and some kings. History is important. Can I get an amen? Oh, there we go. There we go. Some history majors there. Yes, history is important. So for those of you that checked out in history class, I'm going to try to make it interesting for you for the next three to five minutes. The history that explains the situation that's going on to help you understand Hosea in the right way. So, here it is. Remember, there are two kingdoms. They're listed here. You see Judah and Israel. Four kings of Judah are mentioned and one of Israel. It's been 200 years since Israel together has been divided into two. Israel is called the northern kingdom or Ephraim in this book too. And then in the south, we have Judah, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is. Now, what's happened is the northern kingdom, we would call the more cosmopolitan nation of the two. They like to relate to other nations. They adopt other nations' religions and customs, a fancy word we use, syncretism. And we see over the past hundred years, the dynasty of Jehu has really come to fruition in the north and they are at a powerful situation. And with the listing of the four southern kings, we know the period of time that Hosea is writing in. A period of 40 years. Of 7760 BC to 722 BC. And we know by reading this book that he's writing predominantly about the north and what's going on in the northern kingdom in Israel. And the 40 years of 760 to 722 B.C. are a whirlwind in the north. They have moved to the height of its power to collapse. First, what happens is the Jehu dynasty falls. And then there's a period of 30 years where there's six different kings in the north. They're not listed here because maybe it was so jumbled and so crazy, and the southern people didn't care so much about these kings that might not be following God. They didn't even list them. And these six different kings have come to power by political intrigue, coups, assassinations. And all this time, as all this is happening in the north, they're grasping for answers. Who should we follow? What should we do as our nation is collapsing? What idols should we follow? What other nations should we form alliances with? What religious sacrifices do we need to do to be able to maintain this nation? And then at the end of this book is the collapse of the north. The Assyrian Empire destroys it. And the prophet is writing from the south. And we see that this whole book is really written to the south. Warning Judah that if you continue in the same way that Israel has, the same will happen to you. Now Hosea is one of the earliest of the prophetic books. Only one of two prophets that speaks specifically to the north. The earliest prophet is Amos. 
of the prophetic books, Elijah and Elisha, before. But we went through Amos a couple years ago, and some of you might be worried that it might be the same kind of preaching. Well, I think Hosea has a little different approach than Amos. Amos was strong on judgment, justice, and it was at the height of Israel's power that Amos talked and was very strong to get their attention. Now we have Hosea. The nation is collapsing. Like Amos, Hosea also is firm. God is firm through Hosea. And his judgment is clear. But we also see the silver lining through the book of God's tenderness, of his love, and his desire that his people would return to him. Well, a nation in turmoil, anxious about its future, grasping for solutions, massive political intrigue, a rising of foreign nations. What time period am I talking about? The comparisons are pretty uncanny. Now, I want us to warn all of us, do not compare the United States to Israel. The United States is not the new Israel, okay? But the human condition is the same. What do we do in periods of national anxiety? Can we learn from Hosea in the time period that we are in today? I've been reading a nice book by Paul Totkus. It's a book on anxiety. And he says, the anxious heart says this. Your needs won't be met. What are you going to do? Again, the anxious heart says this. Your needs won't be met. What are you going to do? That is what Israel is going through right now in this book. They are wondering, oh, my, our needs won't be met. These nations are coming against us. How are we going to be okay? What are we going to do? And they have doubted their history. A God that made them a people, who rescued them from slavery, that gave them a law, that gave them a land, now that is forgotten. Now they're saying, he will not meet our needs. Let us run to other lovers. Maybe our sacrifices will save us. Maybe other nations will save us. What do you say in uncertainty? When you're anxious about our nation, when you're anxious about what's going on in your family, when you're anxious about your finances, my needs are not being met. What am I going to do? Maybe if I cling to this political person, then it will go better for me. 
to the left, to the right, to the center. Surely someone will make sure my rights are preserved. Surely if I follow this person, the status quo of America will be okay. Our republic will be saved. Surely if I follow this person, all my school loans will be forgiven. I'm not getting what I want at home. What am I going to do? Maybe I spend more time in my work investing there or my hobbies Or maybe if I find an emotional connection to someone other than my spouse, then my needs will be fulfilled. I'm not finding satisfaction in my life. Maybe if I exercise more. Maybe if I invest everything into my kids. Maybe the success of this church. Oh, how we start running to other lovers. God, you can't satisfy. You can't enter into the dynamics of this life. I might sing, you are my everything. I might sing, you are all I need. I might sing, you rescue me. But when the rubber meets the road, when I see a red background with two Marines as our president talks, as I see my kids yelling at me at home, as I see the person I'm married to will never change, so I think. When I see my paycheck and I wonder how I will make ends meet, really, God, will you satisfy? Are you good enough? Maybe I need to run to some other lover. You see, the prophets are God's mouthpiece. They communicate God's message to the people. It's very intriguing. What is the first thing that God tells Hosea? Take For yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Oh, I didn't just say it once, did we? We said it three times in church. Many of you, when you know anything about Hosea, you know this. You know that Hosea takes a prostitute a woman of whoredom. That's usually the image that comes to our mind when we think of the book Hosea. And we see in the beginning of this book, in chapter 1, in chapter 3, a larger narrative portion of his life about how Hosea marries Gomer. It's not a ton of biography about him, but it gives us that and his children. And then the rest of these 14 chapters, the majority of the book, are these poetic oracles. Cases against Israel, like I said, judgments, and blessing. But in the beginning, as we go through Hosea, we're going to be camped in more of this narrative question of Hosea having to follow through what God has called him to do. To take a woman of whoredom and have children of whoredom. 
Lots of questions about this. Is this simply symbolic? Did God command Hosea to marry a woman unfaithful before they got married or after? Did she just become unfaithful later on? Is the second time it's mentioned in chapter 3 the same woman or someone different? Are these children from other people, not Hosea? Are they his own kids or not? Did they come before they got married or after? Is Gomer, this woman that he marries, is she a, a temple prostitute or not? Great questions. I'm not going to answer them all this morning, and we will get to them later as we go through the book. But I want to answer some quickly this morning. Yes, I believe that Gomer is a real person. This is not simply something symbolic for Hosea to do, or Hosea being a symbolic person. These are real people. I believe that from the text because Gomer is not simply a name that's symbolic. We're also given that she has a father, that this is a real person, not symbolism. And many people that say this is symbolism, they reason that it's symbolism because look how difficult it would be to, to do that. How could God ask a prophet to marry a woman that is unfaithful? Well, I believe that the situation is so bad in Israel that the way that God was able to get the attention of the prophet and the people is for Hosea and the people to understand the struggle that God was going through with Israel. You see, the prophets embody the message of God. They incarnate God's pain. They demonstrate how God has been wronged by his people. And then they understand the severe judgment and God's passion from what they've experienced. And that is why I think God has not just symbolically given Hosea this task, but has asked him to marry a woman who was unfaithful. It makes sense because in the Bible, as we've read earlier and seen, that word unfaithfulness is very true to what it means for the people of Israel to disobey the first commandment, which is to have other gods. And we see that's how God describes it. It is Israel being unfaithful. See, God is described as a husband, a faithful husband that keeps his end of the bargain, that loves his wife, his bride, Israel. You see, that message is carried on in the New Testament in Ephesians. But we see that the people are going after other gods and showing their marital unfaithfulness to the Lord. And then it is brought to another level that here Hosea experiences it himself. Experiencing marrying a woman that is unfaithful. Maybe some of you have had these parenting moments. And I'm realizing that as I have teenagers. They're not here right now, so I don't want to call them out too much. But they can be a little moody. I don't know if you know that. That their emotions can be a little up and down. And as I'm experiencing this as a father, 
I'm starting to realize, wow, I was a lot like this myself. And I'm learning to have so much more appreciation of my parents as I parent four daughters. Here is an appreciation of what God has experienced. Here God is seen and displayed in Hosea that he is a faithful husband that has been left. And here we see the pain of this betrayal. A God that has loved and cared and borne with his people and they have left him for other lovers. We are getting this picture of God. You know, as a kid, as children, I don't think we realize our selfishness. Maybe we don't realize it as an adult either, but as children, we sometimes don't realize the selfishness that we have. It's easier for us to identify other people's selfishness and other people's betrayals. As we get older, we start to realize the way that we have been selfish to, uh, towards others or betrayed them. Some of you are teaching our children, and I really appreciate that. This morning on Wednesday night at Family Praxis, I just want to tell you, have grace towards difficult kids that are in your classrooms. I was one of them. I was a clown in Sunday school class. I asked ridiculous questions. I led other kids astray. I was a mess in Sunday school. But I remember one specific Sunday school teacher. She bore with me. She was firm. She gave me evidence of ways that I wandered. She pointed out the judgments I would receive when I did. But through all that, there was this silver lining. She pursued me and cared for me. She took me bowling, played catch with me, wanted to know about my life. She was after me. David and I were talking about this earlier and you're going to hear this many, many times, but it needs to be said as we go through this book. We are not Hosea in this book. We are the unfaithful one. We are Gomer, the wife that Hosea takes. We are the one that wanders towards other things. As we go through this book, we are going to start pointing out, or God is going to be starting to point out in our lives ways that we have wandered from him. And I know my reaction as I have read this book, as God has been working on my heart as I've been going through it. I am very defensive. And maybe you will be very defensive too. And what's going to happen is Hosea is going to point out ways that we have wandered. 
the dangers of this. But through all of this book, it's going to be dotted again with this silver lining of God's pursuit. I'm going to give you a challenge for these 12 weeks. That you would dare take a look at things that have captured your love other than God. And that you might do some serious business with him. Maybe you need to. Maybe you know this religious thing. You know the laws. You know this thing. But when the rubber meets the road, does he really love me? Does he really after me? Does he really care for me? Does he? Do you believe that? Do you know that intimately? You know, the word Hosea, it's a lot like the word Joshua and Jesus. The root of the Hebrew is the verb to save. Hosea went so far to love his people that he married an unfaithful woman. Look at the extent that Hosea went for the salvation of his people. In the same way, Jesus followed his father and his commands. He did not just marry an unfaithful church. He died for us and gave his life. That's how much he loves us. We are whores. We are prostitutes. Every one of us. But in our wandering, our husband comes to us and loves us and calls to us and lays down his life for us. I hope that word of whore hits you. Because that's what we do. But even though that might be a word that hits us, it does not identify us. Because he has come to marry us. That we would be white. That we would be his bride. That we would know his love.